we are so much more capable uh, than any of us realize we are to do whatever we want to do. And uh, if we surround ourselves with the right, with the right people and we aim towards the right things and we know best and deepest who we are and why we're going to do something, truly anything is possible. I think we forget that sometimes because we try to exert so much control on so many things in our life that we don't have control over. We forget how much we actually can make a difference. Before we get started, I wanted to give a shout out to our sponsor, Proper Creative. They help me with our brand content and, of course, making our swag. They're the ones that ship it out to us. That's Proper Creative, and they work with any type of business, whether you're a big corporation or a small business or even running it out of your house. They will work with you, and they will help you and relieve a ton of liability and work from your shoulders. That's Proper Creative. You can follow them on Instagram, P-R-O-P-R, or you can go to their website at P-R-O-P-R. R-O-P-R-L-L-C.com. Let Proper Creative help you build your brand and sell direct to consumer, regardless of the size of your business. Proper Creative is definitely a good choice. Hey guys, on this week's episode with Vince Lombardo, we had a major storm come through here and the internet was going up and down. So the good news is the audio was still pretty much intact. There's going to be a couple spots, maybe a second or two that's a little spotty. Um, so it's not that big of a deal. But if you're watching this on YouTube, you are going to see uh, his face and maybe my face uh, freeze a couple times, but the audio will still be going. And then especially at the end, the words weren't matching the face, and it was because of this storm. So apologize in advance, but still in terms of the episode, one of the highest quality episodes yet, especially if you are in leadership, sales, and development this is an unbelievable episode, and I trust that that internet faux pas will not mess up this episode at all. So please enjoy. Welcome to another week of Level Up with Matt Rogers. I am your host in the flesh. With me, as always, my sidekick, Eli Adelman, producer, engineer. Hey, How you feeling, brother? Dude, I'm doing really good. How are you? You know what? No bad days. How about that? Hashtag no bad days. I'm doing fantastic. What's so good? What's so good? Yeah, why? Because every day is something new, and I never... I have, like, a plan for how, like, my days are going to go and weeks are going to go, but uh, something new always happens. Good and bad, but, you you know, your outlook is, exactly. you know, shapes a lot of stuff. So my outlook is always expecting the next big thing. That's awesome. What's God have for me around the corner next? Dude. And he keeps bringing us phenomenal guests. For instance, Amazing what a great guys. lead in for today. Right. Uh, so today is awesome. We have, we've said from the beginning, our biggest bragging point about this podcast is our, is our guest. I believe we have the best um, actors, sports athletes, coaches, business people, motivators, pastors, preachers, whoever we are have really been blessed to have the best of the best. And our guest today has a personal aspect for me because he is the president of the payroll company that I have hitched my trailer to for the past six years. Y'all know I've, you know, I don't know if even if our listeners do know, cause I never really go the payroll route in the podcast, right? but I am a normal businessman uh, slash employee for a company. I've been doing the payroll industry now for over a decade. And the company that I've been with, you guys have heard me mention it before, is Heartland 
payroll. This is the president of our company. So the backbone of Heartland was always uh, merchant services, credit card processing. Uh, our guest Vince Lombardo started very early in the company. And basically, like that song, started from the bottom, now we hear. He is, he epitomizes that story. So we're going to dive into that and basically just pick his brain because now he is the president of our company, which is a $2 billion, with a B, billion-dollar company. And he has been a driving force not only to get to that goal, but also we keep superseding that goal and like we start out, like what's new for today, this is a man that never settles on his past laurels and is always driving and looking for the future. So I know today our listeners and viewers are going to level up in every sense of the word. So please help me welcome the president of our company, my boss, Vince Lombardo, in the house. How are you? I'm doing great, Matt. Thanks for that introduction. You are at your lake house, which is why you are casual, dressed down a little bit. Normally, we see you, uh, you know, a little bit more uh, business attire, but not today. What's going on? Well, you know, 4th of July is around the corner. It's summertime. The lake is our little getaway, and so I'm working remote this week. And like you said when I started, uh, people forget that sometimes people in positions like mine are normal people. And uh, so, yeah, we go to the lake, and we don't wear a suit and tie when we do it. Well, that is good. One thing, honestly, that I've always appreciated about you is the company that I came from, in a lot of aspects, our leadership was kind of unapproachable or maybe untouchable. And, you know, with the exception of going to a conference or having like a little, you know, 30 minute intimate meeting or once in a while we get the kickoff meeting, you know, we would talk to them, but it would never really went deep. And it was very... uh we didn't get to go deep. And with you, I've always appreciated the fact that you're very approachable. You're easy access. Uh, we can get to you. We can talk to you. And, you know, not to patronize you, but, like, I feel like you genuinely care about us, the employees, the sales force. So I appreciate that. Thank you. Uh, yeah, thank you for acknowledging that. It's intentional. Uh, my whole leadership team and I really think that we want we want to be seen as normal people like the rest of the world is because uh, I think that connected to all the different levels in the organization, you end up in a position where you don't really know what's going on in your organization. And that makes it really hard to lead it well. So I'm, I'm glad that you feel something that, uh, that we intentionally put out there. No, we do. And it's cool because I mean, now, I mean, you are the president of our company and um, you know, that's a big, and you, you've still, I, I still feel at least for me personally, like I have the same access to you that I had um, you know, when you were our chief sales officer and then our, you know, VP of sales. So I've watched you, I think, jump two ranks since I've been with the company. I think when I came, you were the vice president of sales. Does that sound right? Yeah. Yeah. And I then think you, so. and then you went to the CSO chief sales officer and now you're the president. Yeah. Yeah. So back to the beginning, can you tell me, and what I want to get from this podcast with you for our listeners, cause I know, a ton of people from Heartland are going to listen from our company, but also, I mean, we have a wide variety of, you know, salespeople that don't work for our organization and business owners and even pastors, preachers, people in leadership in any, uh, in their sphere can get something from this because you started as just a normal person like the rest of us. And now you're the president of a $2 billion company. Where did you start? And did you always have it in you? Because, Reading your, you know, reading your LinkedIn, you said, look, when I started, I, I had a little bit of sales experience, but it doesn't sound like you were a sales giant. No, 
I was not a sales giant. And no, I didn't have ambition to become the president. And yes, you probably think it's a bigger deal than I do, which uh, I started as a sales rep. And I just kind of like, I, I would say I, one thing I think that really helped me achieve the things I have is whatever role I was in at the time, I was most focused on doing that job in excellence. Yeah. And whatever came, came. And if the next thing that came was a vertical move up, great. And if it wasn't, that's okay too. But I wasn't this person that as soon as I got into the job, I was like, all right, got that one. Got to go to the next one. Because I don't actually think that achievement only looks vertical. Uh, and I think that's a problem we have in society today, especially in business in America. People think promotions by title or having more direct reports or more budget or more responsibility defines more about them as a person and their success. When, when in reality, I think that's not how we're made to be. And uh, I, I think our job is to figure out what roles we can, we can work in, our, in the different parts of our life, father, husband, leader, mentor, president, whatever it might be, uh, where our values can best serve other people mm-hmm. and we can live in alignment with those values. And, and for me, that might be this job, but not the next one or the last one. And maybe, maybe not the one that, that someone goes into. So I think what happens is people constantly have this idea of like, man, look at that guy. Look what he did. He must have really had his eyes on the right things. I didn't. I had my eyes on the thing I was doing at the time. And then when the call came, I would make a lot of considerations about, is that really what I want to do next? Uh, and there were times I said no to the next job or a different job because it didn't feel like the right thing for me to do at the time for my life in alignment with my values. So um, I, I love that this is like a thing that you want to, you want to talk about because I do right. think it can be inspirational for people to hear because I did. That's I started true. as a sales guy with little or no experience. I went three months, didn't sell a single deal, was looking for a job and settled in. And then I was just off to the races, but I always focused on the role I had the most. So your your first sales job with Heartland was selling credit card uh, processing to businesses, correct? Yeah, back in 2003 in St. Louis, Missouri. And uh, I, I did a version of that in one role or another at Heartland for three years before uh, the next thing where I was in a leadership role that didn't actually do any selling alongside it. So when you're, and this is, you know, me asking from experience, like I love, I love leading people. I love inspiring people. But, and at Heartland, the thing that I love about our company, which by the way, if you're listening and you're looking for a company that values this type of stuff, yes, I am plugging our company right now because the opportunity is very vast for leaders and entrepreneurs who are looking. But I say that to say this, um, at Heartland, you have the option to be a one show pony, keep your head down and just grind and make a ton of money and sell, 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 which is the role that I am in. Or you can build a team and you can help them grow. And as they grow, Heartland compensates you for your team members too. I, I explain our comp plan, Heartland like this, is it's 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 corporate, so you get the the blessings of full benefits, 401k, employee stock purchase, uh, all the benefits of a corporation, but you get the compensation plan of almost like a network marketing company where there's incentives and residual income and you own your own book of business. So I feel like corporate America network marketing married to make the perfect baby, which is Heartland Payroll. So I say that to ask you, 
I am very much concentrated. Like I love inspiring people, helping people, but I don't have a desire to build a payroll team because to be honest, I don't want to train people in that. Did you know when you were selling that you did want to train people and you did want to build a team? Oh yeah. I mean, listen, from young ages, I was in some sort of leadership roles, whether it was, you know, the local student government or the head of your class or whatever the thing was. Um, and I don't really know why, except I think it was just a value of mine at a young age. Um, you know, I grew up in a house where I had to grow up pretty young. Mom and dad had some trouble. And, uh, and I, you know, I have three sisters. And so it was my mom, my three sisters and I, my dad was around, but he pretty much worked, you know, from before I got up till after I went to bed. So I think that forced me into a leadership role in the house at an early age, which led to me, I guess, getting some kind of reward or value out of that personally, where I wanted to do it in other roles in my life. So when I started the Heartland, my actual thought wasn't become the president, it was become a leader to help others. That was just what I wanted to do. Um, and I was an average salesperson, just to be clear. Like, I'm not the guy people should be taking uh, actionable sales advice from because it worked for me. I'm the guy people should listen to as sales advice because I can bar- beg, borrow, and steal people I have access to and, and lend their secrets to other people. But I, I, I wasn't on top of a leaderboard. I was above average, average salesperson at best. And, uh, and I knew it was a stepping stone of you got to go do the thing that you're going to lead others to do well so that you have that experience to know what it feels like if you're going to lead them well. So for me, it was always about getting into a leadership role. It wasn't necessarily this one. Don't you feel like, though, especially your personality type of person you are, knowing what you know now, don't you think, though, if you concentrated on Vince Lombardo, the top sales guy in the company, don't you think you could have found a way to make that happen? Oh, yeah, but that's. Listen, I have this, I have this belief and, uh, and, and maybe this will offend some people, uh, and and maybe it won't, but you know, faith aside for just a minute here. Um, I think that, uh, just about most of us can do just about anything that we really want to do. Um, you know, and I think when you're not doing, getting the output of something that you want, then you either don't really want to do it, or you're not paying attention to the feedback around you about how to do it differently. And so if an 80 year old guy wants to go run the Ironman in Hawaii, he can do that. Um, if, if I want to lose weight, I can lose weight. If, I mean, but when we get to a point of pain or frustration, or we feel that sense of joy of achievement in the thing we're doing, then we get the motivation we need to keep doing more of the same or completely change to something different. And my, my, what I think causes most of us to stay stuck where we are is we don't actually know what we want to go do. So yes, I believe if I wanted to be the best Heartland sales rep, I could have been the best Heartland sales rep. I believe if I want to be the CEO of, of our parent company, I could be. Um, but I, I, don't, I don't know that a lot of us have really figured out what it is that we want, because I think a lot of us haven't done the work to define what our values are and how to live in alignment with those. Absolutely, man. And so you knew early on in your career that you wanted to lead people and help people and help them become successful, right? Yes. So you mastered that, uh, I could say now, I know you're constantly always growing this and that, but how much, how much self-development has happened for you from the time you started till now? Because we're talking about 18 years now, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's been a while. Um, I would say a lot, you know, we're a very entrepreneurial company and, uh, the good and bad of that is there's a lot of creativity and a lot of different solutions and, and ideas and people kind of dreaming up ways of getting things done. And, and the good of that is you're constantly hearing new things. The bad of it is you're constantly being distracted about why the thing you're doing might be better to do it a different way. <laughs> and, uh, and so you got you to be really good about filtering what's best for you. 
uh, again, back to, you know, alignment with your values. And I think, I think if you, if you really do decide you want something and that something is in alignment with your values, you pursue it. I mean, kind of relentlessly, right. Uh, and in order to, you know, I, I guess I'd say this, I don't think I was ever ready for any of the promotions that I got. Wow. I most people are. That's a bold statement. Yeah. I mean, may, maybe one of them, maybe one of them, but even then I remember a few months in thinking, man, there's a lot about this. I'm going to have to change about myself to do this job. Well, cause it's so different than the last one. And, and I you know even, even in the role I'm, we do our best job we can at making a selection for the competencies and, and, and history and experiences, et cetera. But we also look a lot at like the teachability, the grit, um, you know, how, how much of a growth mindset does the person have to want to become the person they need to become to do the next job? Well, because largely it's true that what got you to where you are is not what gets you to where you want to go. Mm, um, and I'll, I'll give you an example of that. When you're, when you're in a, a division manager role at Heartland, which for the listeners is a role where, you know, you have between five and 15 people in a geographical area that you're helping to oversee to be successful. And you train them and you go out in the field and you help them sell stuff, et cetera. Uh, to create change in the business up with problems that we have with systems and software, you typically have to have either a loud voice or persistence because there's 150 of these people in the company and they all have different opinions with this entrepreneurial thing. So there's like the more passion you bring to something, the, the more important it is. And therefore, someone's finally going to listen because to get influence, you have to have results and you have to have a lot of energy at that mm-hmm. level in most businesses. Right. But if you take that same trait and you become the president of the company and everything you do has that level of passion and intensity, people quickly get scared of you. And, and not because Sca- you're a scary, scary person. Scared of you how? How do they get scared of you? Because you come at, you come like, you don't recognize, especially a guy like me, this is probably one of the biggest growth growth moments I've, I've had and I continue to have in this job. I don't put the weight on my title that you do. Like I said at the beginning, I want to be a guy that can walk in a room and be treated like just another guy in the room. I also recognize logically that's not life. That's not reality. But when I get passionate about something because of my title and my responsibility, it's, it's like everybody just starts going real fast to solve the problem. And really, I just want to be passionate about something. So it comes out in that way. So I have to learn when to tone down and tame a lot of my enthusiasm and the passion because it might be perceived by people who don't interact with me all of the time because at this level in the business, that's a lot of people right. Uh, incorrectly, right? And, and so it's an example of, look, what got you here might not be what gets you there. And we have to be willing to be open to that growth and be able to abandon certain things that feel like they got us so far in our life. You know, for most of us, Matt, including you, your Achilles heel in your, in your, in your marriage or with your friends or in your faith or in your work is oftentimes also the thing that has made you great. And, and knowing like how to work your way through that is really, really critical to personal growth. How do you find out what that is and how do you work your way through that? Um, well, I've been in therapy for a few years now. I've got a personal coach. I've got a business coach. I mean, I'm doing a lot of work on myself. Right. And uh, like, you know, here's an example. I'm a restless hyperachiever. And that doesn't mean that I care about the results on a scoreboard. It just means I like to get stuff done. I'm a GSD person, right? And uh, to the point that like I make people around me feel lazy who aren't lazy because I just don't stop. I can't sit still. Now, you could argue like Vince became the president of Heartland over 18 years because he didn't sit still. 
But on a Saturday morning when my family wants to lay around and not do much because it's raining outside and I'm like, dude, it's just rain. We can go out and do the yard or clean up this thing. Or like I'm seen as a guy who just can't rest or relax. And it's an interesting level of anxiety or tension in my personal life that I'm completely unaware of until I'm made aware of it. And I've got to decide as a person, how do I, how do I lean into this thing that's made me quote unquote great in my career and all this achievement. And yet also recognize when it's not helpful or healthy in my life. Uh, And I think for all of us, there's a thing like that uh, or two or three or four to kind of define a lot about what we've done in our lives. But because it's so much about who we are, it can also really not be a healthy thing in other parts of our life. Dude, that's such a good point. And that for me, that's a part of my life where I'm struggling, not struggling right now, but that I am aware of is that like with my kids, like you said, when we're chilling at home and they're just relaxing and I love my kids. I'm so proud of both my boys. I got a 13 and a 15 year old and they're great at what they do. But sometimes when I just see them chilling, like I'm like, well, get up, we got to do something. So like you said, a lot of times I kind of make them feel like lazy or this and that. And they're like, well, sorry, dad, I didn't win a freaking Rose bowl. And I'm not a tub of coming. Like, and I'm like, no, 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 I'm not trying to make you me. I'm just trying to make you the better you, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. <laughs> and sometimes I come across as an a-hole to my kids when I'm just trying to motivate them and love them. And, you know, even my wife sometimes is like, dude, don't Tony Robbins me. Like you can do that with your people, but they ain't going to work with me. Yeah. <laughs> Does that happen in your house too? make me feel better about myself? 100 <laughs> uh, percent. My oldest is 16 and I struggle with the same thing. He's this super strong personality. He's a natural leader. He's going to do great things in his life. I'm not that worried about it. But, you know, when I was 16, my life looked very different. And, you know, it's hard for me to look in a mirror and not think this level of success would be great for my son. So why can't he be just like me? Mm-hmm. And then when you try to shape and mold him to be more like you, sometimes you're not actually leaning into what makes him like the beautiful creation that he is and what you should love about him. Uh, and so I constantly have, and I use him as an example because he's at that kind of important age where a lot of the formative conversations happening in my marriage about him and there's regular occurrences of when do I let Luca be Luca and when do I try to shape a different version of Luca to get a different outcome. Um, and you know, why, why can't he just be more like this or less like that versus what I should be doing is praying for, uh, praying for the ability to accept and love him for who God made him to be and to bring those gifts out in all the beautiful ways that they will come out in life and support that versus my version or view of wanting to control that. That's great. That's such a good point too. I just, I heard this not too long ago and now I'm practicing it in my life. Like, you know, as parents, we say, I just, I just want you to be happy and I want you to be the best you that you can be. And someone just told me like, dude, stop saying that to your kids. Start saying, I want for your life what God wants. Like you need to find out what God wants from you and you need the best version of that, what God wants you because then it takes the pressure off of us as parents, puts it back on God. Like, no, don't be the best you you could be. Be the best you that God wants you to be. And that's just, I don't know, a little mind trick I think that you know has helped me a lot too. Let me ask you this, because I've noticed this too, that your leadership that's around you, like uh, I am going to drop a couple names here or feel comfortable doing so. The Mike Brodnick, who is uh, now our chief sales officer, uh, you know, like Wes Williams, some of some of these guys that I saw as you got elevated, they were elevated with you, promoted with you. So my question is, because I've also seen people that were close to you 
that aren't in the mix anymore for whatever reason. So I'm thinking that you have a you have a thing about you. I'm gonna brag on you for a minute that the closer people are to you, like people like to be around you and they get elevated. Like you make people better. Obviously, you've been promoted. How do you inspire those around you to become better? But then also when you spot the ones that aren't elevating or aren't leveling up or aren't part of the mission, how do you spot those and let those people go? You know what I'm saying? How do you spot a good leader as they get, you know, and which ones you elevate and which ones don't make the cut for lack of better terms? Yeah, there's a lot in that. And uh, this isn't a 24 hour episode, so I'll do my best to summarize (laughs) a couple of points. Um, Look, first and foremost, I think, you know, it goes back to, uh, do you understand each other's values and can those values live in complement of each other? Uh, you, you named Mike and West, their values are not my values, you know, but they've done the work to know them and they're close enough to what we're trying to do with the business that, that we can naturally like live in sync with those things. So first and foremost, if there's a person whose values are entirely different, that there's no place for them. In, in, in the version of the business you're trying to create. Wow. My, my three big values are contribution, authenticity, and leadership. Okay. So if one of another person's values who got a leadership job, but really isn't serving others, uh, you know, and, and it's really about selfishness and income and status, they don't really have a place in my leadership environment because I'm not going to lead people who think that way. Um, I want to be around leaders who think about how to lead others well, because if we I just have this belief, Matt, that if we all think about how to serve the people around us, then everybody's being taken care of because everyone's thinking about how to serve each other and then they themselves are being served well also. And so that's, that's kind of a common thing. Um, so at first and foremost, there's a value separation. That, that's a pretty simple conversation. But let's say the values are the same, but they can't level up. So they're not made for that next job or you put them in the next job and they just can't get the thing done. What matters is that there's really clear expectations, a really strong relationship rooted in trust and experience that allows you to have what I call front door conversations so that you don't have to play this beat around the bush, side door, hope they heard me version of a conversation, mm-hmm. and they can work on those things. So if I think you are, let's say, for a few weeks distracted and you're one of my senior people and it's showing up in a few different areas. I don't call you and say, hey, talk to me about what's been going on the last few weeks. How are you? That's oh, what everyone does. Yeah. So you yeah. don't do that. Okay. I'm so excited to hear your answer right now. That, that's what everyone does in the world today because God forbid any of us actually have a real conversation with someone we are or are not that close to because we might get canceled, right? Or some crap exactly, like that. Exactly, yeah. So, so instead, I call you and say, hey, Matt, uh, you know, I rely on you for these really important things. And I got to tell you, man, you've been showing up really disconnected and disengaged. And A, I'm, I want to know if you know that. And B, I want to know what I can do to help. And C, I want to know why. Like, let's, let's have this conversation. And, you know, we'll schedule lo- enough time to get into the nitty gritty takeaways. We'll talk about it. We'll create accountability plans to come out of it. And then I'll, and then I'll do my, my role in holding you accountable if you do your role. You said a minute ago that people close to me seem to, seem to succeed. And I would say, yeah, I create an environment where they have a feedback cycle to do so. But man, it's their work and it's their decision to level up and to, to meet that expectation or exceed it. And uh, I, don't, I don't ever want to take credit for anybody's success around me. I want to take credit that an environment was created for them to become their best self. And my job is to create that environment. And sometimes 
that environment's uncool. Um, no different than you know the feedback you don't want to hear, uh, just along the side of the acknowledgement that you do. Some people, my job is to know how to make people tick. Some people need regular acknowledgement and pats on the back, like you. You you are a guy that needs to know I matter. I did a good job. That matters way. Actually, doesn't need that, but constantly wants to know every little area they could be improving upon because they're going to pursue that, right? And and my job is to know for my eight or ten people where those buttons are and how to pull those levers and press those buttons the right way and do so with complete transparency, full accountability, clear expectations, and front door conversations. So, I think that's a big part of why you've seen certain people really thrive and others disappear. So I want to talk about the ones that might disappear for a minute. And this could be a really big leadership moment for people right now is how do you handle, especially now in the position that you're in, but even on the way up, I know you've had this conversation probably thousands of times. When you make the call, you know, Matt, uh, I've noticed that, you know, you're disengaged. I noticed there's some things going on. First of all, do you notice that? Second of all, how can I help? And third of all, why? And then now I throw back at you all of my excuses on why I'm not the problem and why you're the problem, the company's the problem, the customer's the problem, my wife's the problem, my kids, the economy, the president, the government. I'm just giving you all of my excuses and I'm not seeing myself as the problem. How do you handle that situation? Because like you said, if you say the wrong thing, especially nowadays, you're gone. Like you get canceled. How do you have that? Because, you know, the, with the proximity that I've been able to get to you, like you've never been one to beat around the bush to people. Like they're either going to love you or hate you, but you're not going to walk away from Vince Lombardo thinking that he was BSing you. Cause he'll tell you the truth, whether you like it or not. How do you handle, how do you have that conversation with the people that are just airing out all of their excuses? Yeah. I think you got to have a little bit of an antenna up to know, is this a moment I need to just be there and listen, or is this a cancer? Because sometimes even the best of us just need to vent. Um, but if the venting is something that you perceive as someone who knows that person really well to be cancerous, it all goes back to the question we talked about earlier. What do you want? Okay, Matt, so all of those things are your reality. What do you want to happen here? I want to be successful. Okay, then can we talk about why the mirror instead of the window needs to be reviewed, right? Because those things are real. They're your experience. They're happening to you. But how you're responding to them, what you're doing about them, how you're letting them into your heart, your soul, your mind, your thoughts, that's really the issue because you can't control any of that crap, but you can control what you do about it. We go back to that conversation, right? So for me, it's like reset that and then set clear expectations, set measurement periods. And if they can't get to a place that's good by a certain time, like let's talk about what's best for you because Matt, here's the thing that matters. You said a minute ago uh, when we started something about you don't patronize me, but you know I really care. I hear this all the time, and I'm actually really glad people recognize it because back to that Achilles heel is your gift thing. I care a lot about people. I want to be able, if I have to have a tough conversation with you that leads to you no longer being part of our team, I want to be able to pass you in a Walmart, and you still want to say hi and give me a hug, and we talk about what you know, how you're doing and how life is versus like you avoid me or you flip me off or you curse me out because of the process. Because at the end of the day, what I want most is for you to be happy and healthy. And if you can't be happy and healthy in our organization, then I want to help you get out of the organization so you can get to a place that's happy and healthy for you. And people closest to me know that because that's how we talk. And so we can have really honest conversations like, man, I'm just not doing well. I'm really struggling with whatever the three things are, victim or not victim. 
And, and, uh, and I'm not sure how to work through those, but I might not be the guy or the gal for this job. Like that, that's a conversation that happens somewhat regularly because if we're being really authentic, vulnerable, and honest, we constantly doubt ourselves. We constantly wonder if we're enough, if we're doing enough, if we're, if we're, if we're excelling enough, if we're achieving enough. And we need the feedback loops in our lives that tell us where we can do more or get better and where we're doing well. And if you don't have the kind of front door open relationship in a boss or peer conversation where people will be that honest with you, you're going to struggle to know how to get the most out of your personal desires in life to live the happiest and healthiest life that you can. How important is the mindset for leadership and to get promotions? And also, uh, are there such thing as insecure leaders that are oh, in I that mean, position? That, that Yeah, we're all insecure people. Anybody that doesn't appear to be insecure is actually incredibly insecure and they're just masking it, right? It's that, <laughs> right. that ego mask. Uh, right. We all have insecurities, all kinds of insecurities we don't talk about, right? Um, you know, I was listening to a couple of your previous episodes and I've heard, I've heard some people really just profess things that I'm like, man, I have no problem talking about that too, but I wonder how much I'm actually acknowledging my own insecurities in that conversation. Um, especially taboo topics of things you can't, you can't talk about anymore in, in modern American society. Right. And right. so I, I think, yes, insecure leaders are everywhere, just like insecure people are everywhere. Um, but I think, I think what happens here is look, you, you know, you had asked me a question at some point in time um, about how important is it to have the right people around you, right. In life and leadership, et cetera. Yeah. And I would say like, yeah, good people are people who know your values. They help you live in alignment with them. And they create accountability systems for you to do so, so that they can hold you to the version of yourself they know you're capable of being. Here's an example. Struggling with something with my wife for, you know, whatever, fighting for a couple of weeks, there's all this crap, life tension, anxiety, stuff, normal marriage crap. And I go to my, my, my best of friends and I say, dude, Nicole's driving me crazy. Here's what's happening. A good friend says, Hey, where, where are you in this? Like, where are you causing some of this? And where, where can we put, instead of the finger pointing at Nicole, the mirror up to see how you're creating an issue here? And how can you actually find a place to love Nicole through this? And where's Jesus showing up in your relationship and your marriage? Like a, a bad friend's like, yeah, screw Nicole. She's right. horrible, you know? <laughs> totally. and, and yet like, sometimes you want to hear that latter one. And so like good people don't always make you feel good. Right. Sometimes I tell you what you don't want to hear that doesn't make you feel good, but you absolutely need to hear. And if you surround yourself with just just two or three of those people in your life, other than maybe your spouse or life partner, it, it's amazing what can happen with with you, with you, because I, I also believe none of us are strong enough to go it alone, Matt. And I've right. watched a lot of people try to go it alone and they don't get where they could go because they're not open enough to the idea that other people exist to help them level up too. And that requires them to be really vulnerable and share their, their biggest insecurities, their deepest secrets, their, their, their strongest desires, their fears, and help those, let those people help them through achieving those things, which is something we all don't do real well because of insecurities. So you cannot answer this question with Nicole, your wife. She cannot be the answer. <laughs> Who is your one go-to? Who's your rock? Who's the person that you go to that encourage you, inspires you, lifts you up, you're having a bad day or you're having a good day and you want to celebrate it with them or you're having a bad day and you need them to lift you up, who's your go-to? Who 
who's that person for you? Yeah. So for me, um, it's a, it's a really, really good friend of mine that I've met known for six or so years. Um, and I've got another guy in the same boat. They both live in my neighborhood. Like we do life together. Uh, Zach and Joe are their two names and, and they know my heart. They know my marriage. They know my life. They know my faith. They know where I struggle. They know where my sin lives and, and vice versa. And that's the important thing to call out too. I used to think you had to have like 10 of these people in your life, but you don't. You just need a couple because it's typically a 360 conversation. All that stuff for you, you're doing it for them. And if you got four kids, a wife, a business to run, how many more people can you serve like that in your life? Right. In excellence, right? So I don't think it takes more than two. And for me, it's, it's two guys named Joe and Zach. Like they're, they're the ones that I think keep me uh, most connected to my values and the version of myself I'm trying to live my life to be. What does Zach and Joe do in life? What's their title? If your oh, title's the president sorry, of a company, by your question. yeah, Joe's a doctor, mm-hmm. uh, and and Zach is a leader at Heartland. He's a he's a VP of sales at Heartland. Yeah, which was dicey, right? Because I met Zach before Heartland, and we were good friends. But I saw talent in him, and I mean, Zach's built a channel from basically nothing to doing $10 million a year of recurring revenue and serving a hundred people every day. Cause he's got that servant heart as well. The cool thing too. And another shameless plug for our company is like, we're established, we're successful. Like we're one of the, you know, the top companies, you know, voted year over year, best company to work for. But I also feel like we're just getting started. Like we haven't even scratched the surface yet. Uh, for people listening, because our credo has and always has always has been always will be entrepreneurs respectively serving entrepreneurs. So when when it comes to you know entrepreneurship, what makes a good one and what makes a bad one? Yeah. So I think there's two things to recognize about all all models of employment. <laughs> Whether you own your own business, uh you you invest in businesses or you uh you're a W2 employee, you're a contractor. And, and that is that we all serve somebody, right? Um, in, in your world, Matt, you, you serve Heartland, but you really serve your customers, right? right? And when those customers are upset, you're not doing your job or we're failing to do that part of the job you've relied on us for. Uh, but make no mistake about it. Like, I don't have a boss. Yes, you do. They're your customers. Okay, I'm going to open a small business. Who's your boss? Well, the bank, the guy that borrowed, I get borrowed the money from. Oh, you don't have any debt. You don't have a bank loan. Okay, great. My customers. I serve my customers. And when I stop caring about serving others well, whoever that other might be in my particular scenario, I'm not going to be good at what I do. So, so first and foremost, the word serving is in credo because I think what makes a great entrepreneur is people who respectfully serve the person that their particular entrepreneur-like role is designed to serve. And secondly, I'd say is, is like resiliency. Um, and, and I want to be clear about that one because I think, I think people get this wrong sometimes. There's, you know, you're, you're, you're on a path and there's a pothole, there's a big brick wall. The people who just plow through that wall without regard for how or who they hurt in the process or, or what the other, what, what the outcome is plowing through, that's not a good resilience. Um, and, and maybe it's a survivor resilience. I think it's probably great if you're in the military and you're on the front lines of, of battle, but it's not a great resilience in entrepreneurship because you typically lead to selfish outcomes and, and self-reliance. And I think the best entrepreneurs recognize they can't go it alone and they get through that wall or past that pothole, but they do it thinking through who's going to be impacted by my moves here 
And how do I get past this obstacle in a way that continues to serve others well in alignment with my values? Have you ever surrounded yourself or been in a situation, whether it's, you know, I was 12 years old on the basketball team or, you know, hey, it was, you know, last year in my role. Have you ever surrounded yourself with the wrong people? And how did you get out of it and how detrimental can it be to surround yourself with the wrong people? Yeah, I'll save you all the details of the story for, for the sake of time. I would say the first, the first, uh, the most obvious answer, if, if you had a video following me around in my life, uh, you know, freshman year of college, I probably wasn't mature enough to head off to school just yet. And uh, I was not much of a drinker or a partier in high school. Um, I was involved in a lot of, a lot of uh, student government leadership, retreat stuff, servant projects in the city, et cetera. So I go to college and I move into a dorm and it's like, you know, there's girls everywhere, there's alcohol everywhere. And my roommate ended up being somebody who, uh, let's just say was cut from a different cloth than I was and uh, was into dealing, you know, illicit substances and, uh, and, and all kinds of stuff that I'd never been around, but he seemed kind of cool. And I thought it'd be kind of cool to try to be kind of cool like him. And um, that led to some really bad decisions in that semester <laughs> of college that, uh, you know, it's one of those, again, gift and blessing uh, and curses thing, like, like probably the worst, darkest period of my life that I'm the most thankful for. Uh, you know, like, uh, it wasn't, wasn't like a rock bottom, like horrible stories you hear, but it was rock bottom enough for the person that I was trying to be that, uh, that needed to happen for me to understand what I cared about and what I needed to do to, uh, to achieve caring about those things. How'd you get out of that, uh, surrounding yourself with them? Did you just kind of ghost them, stop hanging out? Did you have a conversation? How'd you get away from it? No, I mean, I moved back home, left the dorm where we were sharing a room and kind of disassociated. He ended up dropping out of school a few months later anyway. I went to a community college nearby. Um, and so it kind of took care of itself, but I was also really scared of the guy. I mean, he was, he was a tough dude and I was not, I'm still not compared to guys like you, Matt. Right. Yeah, but, right. <laughs> uh, so it was more of like an avoidance tactic. Cause I didn't really have the same, the same toolkit then that I have now about walking through the front door. I, I remember my mom and uh, in, in one of the outcomes of that whole situation, I, I had made some stupid decisions with some high school buddies uh, that, that I, I had learned from, from uh, this roommate. And I remember my mom, as she was uh, lecturing us said, you know, good friends don't, don't conspire to do bad things. Good friends call out things that are bad and stop friends from doing it. And I think you need to evaluate how good of friends you really are. Uh, and she, she was always a good lecture mom. And that lecture has stuck with me for a long time of like, that's so true. It goes back to the thing about who you surround yourself with, even in your adult life, you know? So now being, in, you know, kind of going back to the business side of things, being in the position that you're in, I'm, I can only imagine that situations get much more difficult because the decisions that you make have so much of a bigger consequence if you make the right or wrong decision, you know, being, you know, a leader of, you know, five or 10 people on your team, which sounds like one of the first roles you start out with and now being you know, the leader of a $2 billion company that has thousands and thousands of employees. Uh, do you ever get discouraged? Do you ever doubt yourself? And if, and when you do, what do you do in that situation? Yeah, man, that's a great question. Um, of course I do. Uh, and anybody who tells you they don't is lying to you. Um, right. it's a lonely job, which wasn't something I'm prepared for. Cause I'm a pretty social person. I've become a little more of an introvert with your wife about the work stuff because it changes so rapidly and it, it requires in my life a lot more conversation with Nicole to keep her up to speed on things 
and she's managing everything she's managing in our life. And it's, I don't want to bring her into that stress cycle. So I don't really have that outlet like I did when I was in different jobs. Um, one of my two good buddies, it wouldn't be appropriate to talk about most of the stuff that I would want to verbalize or talk about. And the other one, it's not really the role that he plays. So for me, it's been a little bit of a lonely role. Um, but in a way that's probably been really healthy for me because I am a verbal processor and that verbal processing at times didn't serve me very well because it came off like gossip or, um, or, or, or sharing, you know, uh, oversharing of things, et cetera. And, and that, that didn't help certain situations, personalities, reputations, et cetera. Um, but when I doubt myself now, I go try to validate opposite opinions of my own. So if I think if we go do this thing, and we're going to be really successful, I go try to find people to prove me wrong. And I ask questions that don't let them know what position I have in the A or B path, uh, because I need to be able to have people think through the other side of it that my own bias might be incapable of, because I've already convinced myself on some level, we're going to do this thing, we're going to be successful with this thing. And so I, I, try, to, I try to go get the doubting opinion so strongly planted in my mind that I can then weigh on a scale my biased opinion versus the strong doubting opinion. Um, and at the end of the day, look, if anybody tells you otherwise, they're, they're, they're lying to you. All leaders pursue making the best decision they can with the most information they have in the moment they have to make a decision. And, and, and all leaders are aware it might be the wrong decision. So you have to be okay like being wrong. And if your failing is failing forward, then that's good. But if your failing is failing and not moving forward, that's, that's not good. And uh, acknowledging up front with the people most invested in something that you're going to do, that you might not be getting it right, that's a, uh, that's a hard thing uh, to continue to do while keeping confidence in you as a leader um, you know, across the board. One thing you've probably noticed, Matt, even at your level in the business, we're trying to be really transparent with the whole company about what we're doing and why we're doing it. Mm-hmm. That's really hard with 5,000 opinions, especially right. when 2,000 of them work from home and don't have a lot of other influences besides the monthly this or the weekly that, that we, we communicate with. And people don't love change, especially people who have kind of settled into their, their, their flow or their groove. Uh, and as you're trying to grow a company, it has to change. So leading people down a path to know what's going on so that they feel like they're involved and treating them like adults. And that oftentimes open up, opens up feedback lanes that also help you make the right decision. When you come out with so much overconfidence in a decision that people don't feel like they can tell you why you might be wrong, you're, you're usually missing an opportunity to hear about how you could get it right. That's such a freaking big key. Eli, are you writing this down? So good. These are all tweetable moments. Yep. I think I got my Instagram feed for the next two months of what I'm going <laughs> to quote. And I'm just, you know, you know, this is so good. How much more time do I have with you? Oh, I'm good for 15 more minutes. All right. So would you feel comfortable? I'm going to ask this question. If you don't want to answer it, that's fine. We don't have to. But would you feel comfortable telling me the biggest mistake that you've made since you've been with our company and how you responded from it? Oh, man, since I've been with the business. Yeah, Um, it's probably not a moment. It's probably a theme. Um, which might be more relatable. A theme, that's scary. That sounds bigger than a one decision. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I, I, I think what I would say is, you know, 
I value so strongly this like transparency, authenticity, just tell people how it is, treat them like adults that respond well, that I think that not being aware of my audience um, has probably not served me well throughout mm. the 18 years that I've been, I've been trying to help people be successful at heart. Please so, elaborate because yeah. I have different audiences that I speak to all the time and I miss it a lot. Yeah. What, is, what do you mean by that and how do you get better? So let's just say present American unforgiving uh, soci- social status aside, right? Let's, let's, let's pretend like you can't get canceled for saying one thing wrong, right? Because sure. I think that oversensitizes the point I'm going to try to make. I think, I think me not recognizing that how I need to show, let's say, uh, the CEO of Global Payments a, a thought or an idea or a plan how that needs to sound and look and feel different in the way I present it and in what I need to say and how I need to say it than when I'm going to lead 5,000 people below me in the org or my team through the same concept. Um, the things that person or audience will care about will be different. The way we have to display information will be different. Um, at what level of depth we have to review details will be different. And something I picked up on probably around 2000 and I'd say 12 or 13, we were going through a lot of changes of business. And I kept meeting with our CEO at the time. And I kept pitching, for lack of a better word, him the same way that I would like pitch new ideas to my my 200 salespeople, right? Right. Um, and it wasn't working. Like, and, and, and I knew these were good ideas. Like you had all the confidence in the world these were right. You've talked to customers and people and like, they're good ideas, but it's not landing. It's because I kept just thinking like, dude, why don't you get it? I'm telling you everything you need to know. Just get it. It's like, well, I I run a billion dollar company. I think about different things than you do, Mr. Lombardo. Put it in my terms, right? Wow. But but they don't tell you that, right? Like you don't walk out of the pitch room and they're like, here's the five things you need to change for us to hear (laughs) right? right? So instead you got to like take the feedback of, man, this isn't connecting. Like something's not clicking. And you have to be okay asking somebody you don't know well and you probably don't trust hey, what am I doing wrong? And hope that they'll be really honest with you. And sometimes that honesty is so painful that you, you want to just shut her in a corner for a week and cry. Sure. Um, you know, but, but influence, influence is something that all people who choose to have any impact on other people's lives is a necessity to understand and execute on. Uh, a leader in my book is defined as a person who helps other people go where they cannot go alone. And that doesn't come with a title or a paycheck. It doesn't come with, uh, with a license. It comes with an intent to help people pursue a better version of themselves, one they can't get on their own. You can't do that if you don't have influence. And being aware of your influence and the power or strength of your influence because of dumb things like title and position in corporate America and real things like trust and relationship strength, being aware of your influence is how you can make an impact that you know you can make, you believe you can make versus not make an impact. And knowing your audience and how to connect with that audience is how to make an influence, how to make influence work. I think a lot of people miss on understanding the weight of their influence and how to make sure it connects with the people they're trying to influence. That's so huge. You just gave me the idea for a book too, that I don't have the ability to write, but if someone out there has the ability to write this, I know that you do Vince it will be an instant New York Times bestseller. And it's how, how, what would I title it? How to, 
how to sell other people's languages. So for instance, like my son right now, he's 15. He's really, uh, he's in like Spanish three right now. Hold on for one second. Why does it sound like this? You hear that? Are we good? Check one, two, three. You go three, two. So my son right now, he's learning. He's in Spanish three. I'm so proud of him because he could speak to our, our the people that help us in different areas of our life and that I can't speak to because he knows Spanish. But you, Vince, you know how to speak to multi-billion dollar CEOs. You know how to speak to customers. You know how to speak to salespeople. You speak their language. So if someone, and I don't know if anyone has, can write a book to teach people how to speak different sales languages or how to, that would be huge. That is such a good idea that you just gave me that again, I can't write that book because I know how to speak like three different languages, but you know how to speak like 25 different languages. That would be such a good book. That would be a good book. If it's written well, it'd be a good book. How to sell different languages. Something like that. That's not it, but something like that. Okay. Um, so let me ask you this, because you said something about 10 minutes ago that's so key, especially in your position. The word gossip, so toxic. How do you fight the urge to not gossip or say things about people in your leadership organization that you know that Sally needs to hear about John or John said something about Sally? How do you weed out the gossip and how do you not partake in it and how toxic is it to an organization or a sales team? Wow. Well, first of all, it can be really toxic. Um, and look at the source of gossip is, is one of, of a couple, a couple of like, like, let's say dependent reasons why it's happening. Number one, a person's looking for importance, esteem, acceptance, value, um, you know, something from the person they're gossiping to. They're sharing information to try to make it clear that they either are in the know and they expect to be accepted or respected over that or, you know, whatever the thing is, or, or they're trying to air something out to see if there is a like-minded opinion mm. of that concern. Yep. Hey, Matt, 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 Matt was kind of a bully to me last week. And I'm hoping that person, if I'm in the ladder is like, dude, he was to me too. What day was that? <laughs> It happens all the time. Oh my gosh, Matt's a bully. Okay. Well, like that validation moment's not a bad thing, right? But understanding that it's not intended to be gossip by saying, hey, I don't want to gossip. I'm, I'm trying to get to the bottom of something here. I just need to know your experience about this particular situation. I, th I think that's okay if it's a trusted relationship, right? But I think as soon as it becomes aimed at bad or aimed at you becoming important or looking good um, or aimed at a place to air out grievances, You've got to hold a mirror up and say, why am I not taking this to the person it's about? Right? What's usually the answer to that? Uh, well, it's usually fear or, or trust or unawareness of your influence. Right? Um, a lot. Look, all relationships are two people just trying to figure out a way to, like, to, to, to get along, to make sense of each other. Uh, whether it's two people who meet once once a year on a conference call or two people in, in a marriage, right? And and everything in between. And it's all about what expectations exist in that relationship. So I might be gossiping about Matt because the last time Matt and I had a conversation about something that I thought was feedback, you didn't respond well. And, and this is a hypothetical, of course, Matt, because you typically respond well to feedback. Right? Hey, and, thank you. And so, and so I'm trying to figure out like, what is this really, what's really going on here? And I'm not going to go to Matt because I didn't like how I felt when I gave Matt the feedback. Okay. 
And, and typically, if we're going to be really honest, gossip is undelivered feedback. Hmm. I mean, when was the last time you heard gossip that when you said to them, hey, have you told, have you told Matt about that thing you're saying about him? No. I mean, they, they never say yes, right? And if they say yes, like, well, what do they say? Okay, then why are you talking to me about it? Go talk to Matt about it. And so, like, there's, there's this weird thing that happens in the cycle of gossip where uh, most people aren't courageous enough to ask the person doing the gossiping, why haven't you gone and talked to that person, right? Because that relationship has unclear expectations. And the answer to that question, if you are asked it, is actually rooted in, we don't have an understanding of expectations where I can do that where it's safe for me to walk in the door, where he's going to respond in a way that I know I'm hurt. And, and the reason why people don't give feedback, Matt, is because feedback shouldn't be about the person you're giving the feedback to. Most of us make the feedback about ourselves. Yeah, there it is. And, and if, if I think Matt needs to hear that he's not living into his values, whatever those might be, hey, man, I'm seeing some behavior. It's showing up in these ways. This is my experience. I don't know if you go back to the same thing we talked about before. I don't know if you know this is happening. I don't know if you know why. I don't know if you know what we can do to get you out of it. But as a guy that cares about you, you need to know I'm seeing these things and you need to hear that from me, right? My job as someone who cares about you, if I'm going to gossip about you, I care enough to gossip. Why the hell can't I care enough to tell you? And so if I'm going to do that, my role in that is to tell you the information and love you enough to give it to you and let you decide what to do with it. Because at its core, feedback is information. It's all it is. It's a new source of information. And you as the receiver of that, in that example, Matt, you get to decide. What am I going to do with that feedback? Am I going to listen to it? Am I going to challenge it? Get defensive? Validate it? Devalidate it? Go find people to tell me that that guy's crazy and that I'm not having that problem in my life, mm-hmm. right? It's your choice. And if I, I detach myself as the giver of the feedback, of you getting the feedback, I'll be a better giver. But if I make it about me and about how I experience you and your response and like, you might be a guy that responds in silence because you want to think. You might be a guy that responds in anger. You might be a guy that responds in defensive. You might be a guy that's like, thank you so much. I need to think about that. There's all kinds of responses and feedback, usually based on the dynamic of that relationship and the trust and expectations that exist within it. So when you get to the bottom of gossip, we're just not giving people the feedback. We're not having the front door conversation. And instead, we're airing it out with other people to either validate or prove that, that we, we might have some kind of control or authority in the situation when in actuality, what we should all do to stop gossip is say, hey, hold on a minute. Have you talked to that person about that? Right. I like doing that, too, because, you know, not that this is my goal, but it automatically puts power back in your court because you had the wherewithal to stop that conversation right there and let people know, like, no, 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 I'm not about that. Like, it puts you in a power position. I like that. Yeah, or you can turn it into a question and say, you know, hey, Matt, it sounds like you need to have a conversation with Vince about this issue you have. How can I help you facilitate that conversation? Ooh, I like that better. I, I don't know that I'm interested in, in just being your, your, your verbal punching bag, but how can I help you here? Because I think what you're doing is gossiping. I think you'd be better to go actually tell the source. <laughs> so strong. I love it. All right, two more questions before I let you go. Kind of transitioning into this. Um, you have been, I'm just going to say it, you've been a master for our company in acquisitions purchasing other companies and you've also been on the other end where you have been the company that has gotten purchased um how have you been able to succeed in that primarily being so secure in heartland and then we get acquired 
by a company called Global, which, you know, now it's been fantastic. Like it's been, I'm sure there's, you know, positives and negatives and everything, but you have found a way to be the guy that acquires a company that probably has different vision and beliefs than you and also be acquired by a company that might have different visions and beliefs than you, but you found a way to work together and succeed. How have you done that? And and how can people learn how to, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, what's the help word? Help others get what they want. Yeah. Help others get what they want, but also uh, meet that happy medium to where, you know, we, what's the freaking word I'm looking for? We do it in marriage all the time. Compromise. Compromise. There you go. Compromise. Um, how do you do that? You've, you've been on both ends and you've succeeded. Yeah. So there's, there's a few key things in this, I'd say, and it's not just related to M&A work, but I, I, I think it's probably pretty prevalent in that, in that answer to that question, which is you, you first have to understand what the parties want. Um, why did Global buy Heartland? What did they need out of that? What were they looking for, right? Why did we buy, uh, you know, our, our get hired solution? It's our, our, you know, our, our, our uh, human capital management tool. Um, and and on the flip side of the relationship, there's always people getting bought and people being people doing the buying, right? And if people on both sides are asking the question, what are, what's the other people trying to get out of this, right? And what is so critical to success, we can't, we can't tough it up. We can't mess with it. We can't, we can't do something stupid there or we're going to have a problem. Mm-hmm. Those are just the only two questions that you seek to understand in the process. And you stay focused on helping the other side get what they want wow. while working in to get what you need or want for your side. It usually works. Now, where that doesn't work is when what they want is to just buy it and mangle it up. But that's not really modern M&A anymore because there's too much money on the table. What's what M&A stand use, for? M&A. What'd you say? You said M&A. What's M&A stand for? Yeah, mergers and acquisitions. Got it. Modern merger and acquisition work is really, it's so expensive these days. It's always aimed at, how can I take this company, buy it, pour some resources, tools, investment, you know, better, better alignment into it and get more out of it to pay off the debt of buying it. That's the cycle of it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so typically speaking, there are people in the room, again, know your audience, who understand exactly what the purpose of the deal really is. And if you focus on how to get them that purpose served, you usually can work into it, how to get your people or your business's purpose served as well. But you you can't walk into it thinking, I'm going to protect, I'm going to build protection layers around my business. I'm not like, I'm not going to let people in. I'm not going to tell them how things really work. I'm going to hide stuff. I'm going to hide the truth. I'm just going to power through because that creates distrust and eventually it breaks. But if you're transparent in how you communicate about your needs and about seeking to understand their needs and you work together to solve both sides needs, you usually can find enough of a happy medium that a good outcome is what is what, what, what comes down the line for the businesses. And I feel like you've, you've done that. And you know, and this is me as an employee of Heartland speaking is gosh, what's when did we get acquired three years ago, four years ago, 2016 was global to Heartland. Holy smoke. So five years. Yep. So if you would have told me five years ago that this is how it would end up, I would be very, very happy. Five years ago, I was freaking out because I thought, oh, my gosh, this is going to happen and that's going to happen. And there's been a couple things that I've seen change, but nothing to where I've ever questioned if I made the right decision coming to Heartland. 
So would you say that you have found a way for keeping the culture of Heartland, the the culture, which I think it has stayed the same? Like, do you feel like you've won in that battle? Because I do. I feel like we've won. Yeah, I think I think if the goal was to keep culture of Heartland the same, I'd say we failed because Heartland's culture needed to mature a little bit. And I think a lot of what Global brought was opportunity to mature our culture. Mm. Um, nostalgia is actually a bad thing when it's overused. And one of the problems we've always had at Heartland is nostalgia gets overused. Why can't things be like they used to be? Why would you want them to be? <laughs> Seriously. Like, I don't want my marriage from 10 years ago. I want my marriage now because the last 10 years, we've gotten a lot healthier and better, right? Um, so, so I think, I think I'm not going to say we declare victory because I also think culture is a thing that, man, it is in everything we do. It is every day, every conversation, every communication. It's a constantly evolving, maturing thing that we have to pour intentional energy into, or it starts to die. It's like a plant. If you don't water it, it's going to go away. And, uh, and so, yes, what I think we've succeeded at global understands the importance of the heartland ecosystem and culture existing in a mature version of its old original self in order for global and Heartland to thrive. And because they understand it fully and we're really transparent about how it works, they give us the leverage and space to allow it to exist. Last question before I let you go, because I know you're at the lake with your family. God bless you for that. Um, it, last year, 2020, worst year economically for so many people and so many companies. I mean, we saw so many companies go under and, but Heartland we leveled up. We actually, and correct me if I'm wrong, not only did we not lay anybody off and not lose anybody, we actually hired, we were on like a hiring frenzy in 2020. How did we succeed in that pandemic? Because it truly is remarkable. And for me, it's been one of my big bragging rights when I sell to people is that, you know, everybody else laid people off. We let our operations work from home and that customer service actually got a lot better and I mean, so how did we, how did, were we able to do that? Um, man, you know, it was an interesting moment in time. I, we didn't have, we had our fair share of struggles in the process, but I think what we did really well, and I'll, I'll applaud Global for this just as much or more than Heartland. We focused on doing the best we could for our people um, and, and trying to take care of them. Um, you know, when you're a public company, you don't always get, you know, the ability to pause the pursuit of quarterly growth. I think because of the global, the global economic issues, not global payments, but global economic issues because of, because of COVID, we, we had a little bit of room in there to be uh, a company that, that, uh, that, that, man, I, I don't know, um, can, can put taking care of its people at the highest of highest of highest priorities without having to worry about other things that might cloud those decisions. And, and we, were, we were in a moment of, um, I think, strength financially as a business to be able to do all the right things to take care of people the way we did. Um, and so I, I was actually really proud of our business and how we responded last year. Very. Look, look we, 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 we lost a lot of money like a lot of companies did. Um, but in many ways, I think we're a better business for it. Um, you know, I think, listen, if I, if I were to like to comment on just 2020 in general, I would say, uh, and I stole this off of a podcast uh, of, of a sermon I heard just a few weeks ago. I've been trying to find the right words to, to kind of like uh, explain this feeling. And I think it applies to a lot of where we are today because the world's trying to set its new norms. You are, I am. We're not going to be the same people we were in 2019. Um, most people don't want to be. 
But we, we certainly don't want to be the people we were in 2020 either, because that wasn't a very fun version <laughs> of, of life for most of us, right? Right. Um, and, and I, you know, Stoics, Stoics would say that happiness equals reality minus expectations, right? It's, uh, look, to be happy, accept your reality, lower your expectations, and then you'll stay, you'll stay happy, right? And I actually think the problem with that, and, you know, I don't want to get religious here too much, but I think it's okay in your podcast given previous episodes. Yeah. Um, it's missing the crucial element of hope. And, and, and hope is something I think we all clung to really freaking hard last year in our individual struggles that I know people had and, and families with people out of work and, and sick. I mean, it was, it was a tough year for a lot of people. And I'm not going to pretend like my year had anything but first world problems compared to most. But I will say that I think if we look at life as, look, in order to pursue a happy and healthy version of ourselves, let's, let's get honest about our reality. Let's, let's subtract from that the expectations that we have of others. And then let's add in our, our hope that, that, you know, you and I share in a common faith in, in our Lord and Savior, but a lot of people have in other things too. Uh, we, we can find a path to understanding what's going to deliver the most joy in our life. Yeah. And if we can pursue joy uh, at, in, in that kind of a formula, I, I think we can define a new normal that is a much better version of, of each of our own ideas of a happy life than we had before 2020 happened. Amen. You let me, before I let you go, like for me, I have the ability, you know, with, with my podcast, like, you know, I talk about Jesus all the time. I mean, he's my hero. I, you know, when he healed me at the age of five, like he instantly became my hero and I never had to look for a hero outside of that, which is, you know, really shaped my life. And I can't get canceled from my own podcast like if people want to click me off they can but they pretty much know what they're going to get for you you know you you are a believer do you have to walk a fine line in your position and does it does it suck that you can't say really what you want to say all the time when you're faith or do you get to say what you want no no i mean look back to the story of like knowing your audience in your area there's a lot of ways to live a christian life without verbally touting your Christian faith. Amen. And, and I, and that's not to knock people who verbally tout. Cause I think right. I would more if I was in a position where that was okay, but there's a lot of people in our business that don't have the same beliefs that I do. And I care about them just as much as I care about anybody. And, uh, and so for me, it's a, it's a North, a North star, you know, an area to point back to, um, you know, a, a, something that you believe to be, um, you know, uh, I don't know, a place where you can put all of your hopes and your fears, your anxiety, your desires, your, your control issues and everything else and, and, and pray it to something you believe to be much more powerful than anything you can actually understand. And for, for you and I, that's, that's our Lord and Savior. For other people, that's something else. And, and my job is to make sure that everybody of every walk in our business feels included, not just, not right. just minorities by race or age, but that all different opinions feel like they have a voice. And to consider those opinions without without necessarily sacrificing my own values or force mine on them, and I think that, uh, and I, I think that's a really important part that that I think we miss sometimes in the Christian faith that we feel like if we're not if we're not out evangelizing out loud, then we're not doing our job. I think there's a lot of ways to show people the way of Jesus, and I think I amen. think that can be in the way we act and treat people, and not just the way that we speak. That's true. And that's so powerful, too, because, you know, I do consider myself an evangelist and I am outspoken. But at the same time, 
and I've uh, admired this about you is, you know, I know that you're a man of God. I know that you're a believer. I know that Jesus is your savior, but like me, you don't try to convert people. You don't shove it down people's throat. And I think that's so much more attractive to people when you're not trying to push that agenda. Like you represent, and I'm saying this to everybody, you represent your God, you represent your belief and let people become so attracted to it that they ask you about it and open that forum. Cause when you try to push that on someone, it becomes unattractive. And my Bible says it's the goodness of God that leads people to repent, not the righteous anger of God and proving that people are wrong. And I hope that everyone's noticed that I never try to do that with our guests on the show, that they know where I stand, but at the same time, I'm not trying to to shove it down their throats. And I just think it opens up so much more of a welcome environment for people to ask and, and to invite and, you know, and see what God does. And it's awesome. So, and the last thing I'll say, and, you know, for what it's worth, you know, we do have a group of men that we do pray for you behind your back and we do pray for our leadership. And I would challenge people who are listening, whether you're with Heartland or, or in your own company, instead of criticize and gossip and ridicule your leaders, why don't you switch it up this year in 2021 and pray for them behind their back? Why don't you pray that God strengthens them and empowers them and helps them make the right decisions because you'll get a lot better results that you want to see and their lives will be better for it when uh, they realize that heaven's talking behind their back instead of you talking behind their back. So with that being said, Vince, thank you so much for coming on Level Up. This was way better than I thought it was going to be and I knew it was going to be awesome. I hope you feel the same way. Did you like yeah, it? Yeah, I appreciate the time to share some thoughts and hopefully it's helpful for people in whatever way they can take something away from this. So uh, keep keep spreading the good word, Matt. It's good stuff, man. We always ask our guests to say one quote, quote one comment, one life lesson that you would help people level up, kind of like Jerry Springer's last, you know, final thoughts. What would Vince Lombardo's final thoughts be on how people can level up? Um, man, I, I think my final thoughts would be, we are so much more capable uh, than any of us realize we are to do whatever we want to do. And uh, if we surround ourselves with the right, with the right people, and we aim towards the right things and we know best and deepest who we are and why we're going to do something, truly anything is possible. I think we forget that sometimes because we try to exert so much control on so many things in our life that we don't have control over. We forget how much we actually can make a difference. Amen. Well, I will let you get back to your family to make a difference with them. Uh, you'd make a much bigger difference if I was there and I could bring my firework display to uh, blow up the skies of Oklahoma City. Are you in Oklahoma City or are you at a different lake? No, we're at a lake in northern Oklahoma called Grand Lake. Oh, you should see my firework stash. I'm going to blow up Tennessee in two days. <laughs> <laughs> you have fun with that, buddy. Appreciate right. you. We'll talk later. I appreciate you. Thank you so much. You, You're the man. There you have it. That was uh, Vince Lombardo. He is the president of Heartland Payment Systems and our payroll, uh, and it's just grown leaps and bounds, and I'm so glad that he joined us today, and I'm glad that you joined us today. And as always, we ask you to please like, subscribe, and share. That's how we get this out. If you like this, share it with somebody. And if you shared it with someone, subscribe, because we have uh, guests that we level up each and every week. Um, and we are so blessed for our guests that come on the show. So please like subscribe and share. It's more important than you understand. And once again, thank you for joining us. This has been another week of level up. <laughs>